turn to Psalms 100. It's good to see you today. I missed you last week. I don't like when it snows on Sunday. I like when it snows, but not on Sunday, because I love to be with y'all and to uh, celebrate and, and to be together and to teach God's Word. I do, I do want to remind you and thank you for your faithfulness and your generosity and giving, but even when we don't have church, we still have obligations. We, uh, we about $65,000 a month goes out of here for missions. And that those missionaries and missionary organizations are counting on us and depending on us. So I just want to make you aware of that, remind you of that. So if you need to make up a little bit over the last few weeks, that will go. Whatever you're not giving to the church, you're giving through the church. So just be reminded of that. And then you just heard group link is next week. Uh, we, we, and I'll talk a little bit about this more in the upcoming weeks. But, but there's something about when you get out of, of row and get into a circle that helps you in your spiritual journey. And if you're not in a group, come next week at 6. We'll have a leader's equipping from 5 to 6, and then a group link where you'll meet and be able to interact and figure out what night of the week and all works best for you. Today, we're in a season, our third week in this reset. We've just set aside 21 days since January 2nd for praying and fasting. And there there has to be times in your life when you do that. And here's where it kind of came from. How, does anybody happen to you in threes? Stuff always happens in my life, it usually in threes. And, and the first thing, probably back in September, was right around in that fall time, Emily, my 17-year-old daughter, had everything plugged in in every outlet in her room, a hair straightener, a hair curler, a hair dryer, a lipstick maker. I mean, everything you can get in an outlet, she had it in there. And the fuse popped. And you know, how many know sometimes you can spiritually, you can get over-circuited. You got so much going on that you just got to reset the circuit. You got to realign. You got to step back. You got to say, wait a minute, this isn't, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And then, and then just a few days later, the garbage disposal clogged up. And I, you know, I'm not real handy, but I can fix that most of the time. And so I got under there and got that little tool and cranked it and hit the reset button to unclog it. And just like the, the reset on the on the breakers, sometimes your light, it just gets clogged. Again, you need a reset. You need to go back. And then just a few days later, we were trying to rent a movie and Verizon, uh, we were on demand and, it, and it, it was all scrambled. And so we paid for it, couldn't see it. So we had to call them and, and they walked us through the process and had to reset the box so that, so that we could see clearly. Sometimes spiritually, you just got to have a reset so you can see clearly. So it's not all muddied and and kind of messed up. And that's what we're doing. I believe every Sunday is a small reset. That's why you come to church. So you can realign and reprioritize and reset, reconnect. Because there's so much going on throughout the week. So much activity. Sometimes so much stress and strain that you just need, you just need to reset. But also there has to be seasons in your life and in the life of a church where you're intentional and where you're strategic and where you're purposeful about stepping back. And that's what we've tried to do. And I know the winter storm might have kind of thrown you off track, but if it has, I'm just encouraging you get back on track. We have seven more days. I'll, I'll uh, this middle of this week, I'll do a three-day full fast again. Uh, some people are doing one meal a week, one, one meal a day, one day a week, sun up to sundown, whatever. Whatever the Lord has put on your heart, let's finish strong. We'll have prayer every morning from seven to eight right here. Powerful time of prayer. And worship, we're, we're going through our devotional to talk about the different times in fasting. If any way possible, over the next seven days, 
for you to be here. We would love to have you. If 7 to 8 is too late, they're on Tuesdays and Thursdays. There's a prayer time from 6 to 7. Two men's groups, they would love for you to join them. Wednesday night, we'll have another uh, service where we'll go after God. And, and I'm just saying, again, seven more days to this thing. Let's finish strong. And, and this morning, I, I want to just emphasize one of the greatest things you can do to reset spiritually is to re-emphasize corporately and individually worship. And I know worship can mean a lot of things to different, and it is. Worship is just not singing. It's just not celebrating. If you do your job as unto the Lord, that's worship. If you go out of this place and, and you go serve somebody, that it's worship because it blesses the heart of God. But today I want to I hone in and, and, and talk more about the singing aspect of worship, the, 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 the celebrating of worship, what we do collectively and what we ought to be doing individually. So, so that's where I'm kind of going. And, this, and why is that important? Because I've wrote it down for you. Nothing brings the manifest presence of God. The manifest presence of God is the visible, tangible, it's the, it's the unmistakable, evident, obvious, apparent presence of God. Nothing brings His presence down on a life or a church as quickly and as powerfully as when God's people unashamedly adore God's Son through worship. The Bible says He inhabits the praises of His people. There's some, in, in John's gospel, there was a lady who said, well, we worship on a mountain, and, 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 and Jesus said, no, God loves worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. That's who he's looking for. So if you're struggling today and you're, you don't feel God's presence, you don't sense his touch in a manifest way, then begin to worship and he'll find you because he's looking for people that will express their love to him in a way that brings him glory and honor. So, so what is worship? If you're taking notes, you can write this down. If you're not taking notes, you can write this down. Worship is love expressed. That, that's what one definition of worship is. It's love expressed. And if I ask you, okay, what does that mean? How do you express your love in worship? I'd probably get as many answers as I did people. Well, I, to, for me to express it, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it according to my tradition. I'm going to do it according to my personality. I, I'm going to express my love according to my preference. And, and I would say to that, if, if worship is love expressed, it's not about the person expressing their love. It's about the person receiving the love. So it's more important for you to find out what God likes that's much more important than to figure out your personality or preference or tradition or style. Let me explain it to you this way. Gary Chapman, several years ago, came up with this idea of five love languages. Many of you are familiar with them. You know what I'm talking about. And, and, and he says everybody has a love tank. And everybody likes to have love expressed in a different way. And, and, and let me illustrate it in my family. I, my oldest son, Tyler, his love language is acts of service. He just bought a house. It's an older house, and we've been going over there and helping him. They're, they're remodeling, tearing down walls, painting. When I go over there and do that kind of stuff, it's, it's, it's like we're connecting. He, it fills his love tank. It, 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 it's a way that I can express my love to Tyler. On, on the flip side, Emily is more quality time. You, you can clean her room and take out her trash, and she don't care. She wants to sit down with you. She wants to interact with you. And so since she was about two years old, we've had 
I, I wouldn't say every week, but more a, a lot. We do breakfast at Chick-fil-A either on Friday or Saturday morning. And we'll go and sit across the table from each other. We'll put our phones down and we'll just interact because that, that fills her love tank. That connects us together. Angie, my wife, her love language is gifts. And it's not about the price of the gift. It's not about the, the size of the gift. She just wants to know that I was thinking about her. She wants to know it fills her love tank when I bring home stuff. I mean, it could be she loves black licorice. And so if I stop by Wawa and I'm getting gas and I go in there and get some black licorice and bring it, that's a, I mean, it's like I was thinking of her. I, was, I had her on my mind. And, and so that fills her love tank. And then Zachary, my middle son, he, his is words of affirmation. They're all different, words of affirmation. He, he don't, I mean, you can give him a gift, and I mean, he'll, he'll appreciate it. And you can, again, you can clean out his car, and, and that's nice. But he wants to hear that a boy. He wants to hear well done. He wants somebody to put their arm around him and say, you're going to make it. You're doing great. You're awesome. I mean, he's a lot like me. Words of affirmation just build us up. And then I got a dog, and his, his love language is physical touch. And he doesn't get a lot of that from me, but, but that's his love language. And, and we all have different love languages. And the Bible says God has a love language, and it's called worship. And you, you can worship God out of your tradition and out of your personality and out of your preference and out of your style, or you can find out how God wants to be worshipped, how he wants you to express your love towards him. And you don't, have to, you don't have to read five love languages. All you got to do is go to the Bible. It's in Psalms. Psalms is, is a worship guide for dummies. The Psalms is written by King David. And it teaches us and shows us and reveals to us how God wants to be worshipped. And God is, he, I mean, he, he's a, yes, he's God on the throne and he's all powerful. But God has emotions. He's an emotional God. It, when Jesus was on the earth, and, and the Bible says that Jesus was an exact representation of what God is like. So if you want to know what God is like, then you study the life of Jesus. And Jesus cried, and Jesus was sorrowful, and Jesus was joyful, and, and, and it, Jesus got angry at times without sin. He had all these emotions, and, and, and he wants us to, to worship him, to express our love with emotions. And, and sometimes our worship is so much unlike what we do with other things. We have no problem with our kids when, when they're little, throwing them up in the air and, 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 oh, man, you know, getting loud with them, getting on the floor and expressing our love. I was at a ball game last night. I had no problem expressing my anger towards the referee and my joy towards the team that I wanted to win. I mean, it was just a natural response. We, 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 we're, we're okay with, but then when it comes to God, we, we think, I just need to be more reserved. I need to be more whatever. And I, I, here's, here's, here's what Psalms 100 says. It says, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. This sounds like a contemporary church service. But I would say it's not contemporary, it's traditional. This is what they did 3,000 years ago. People will ask me all the time, well, what kind of church do you pastor? And I know what they're really wanting to know. They're wanting to know what is our style, what is our music like. And I'll say we're traditional. And, and then they come and they go, 
you're not traditional, you're contemporary. And I'm like, no, I want to do what they did in the Bible. I, I want to be traditional in the sense that I want to worship the way God wants me to worship. I want to worship the way that's prescribed in Scripture. If David was a man after God's own heart, if David uh, knew God face to face, if David had intimate friendship with God, I want to do what David did. I want to worship him in a way that fills his love tank and connects us relationally. So that was a great place to say amen. But anyway, I just keep going. So anyway, how, how do we do that? Well, there's seven Hebrew root words for the word praise. So the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. Instead of, instead of taking the word praise and, and changing it all these seven different times, the, the psalmist, the writer, would just use the word praise. Like there's four definitions of love. There's agape love. There's phileo love. There's there's story, I don't even know how to say it in the Greek. There's, then there's, there's eros love. and there's diff, But when you look at the Bible, it just says love. And when you look at the word praise, it just says praise. But if you break it down and you study the Hebrew, you'll get more meaning and more understanding. And so I've, I've tried to do that for you. So one of the re, root words of praise in the Hebrew is hallel. And it means to rave or to boast or to celebrate or to be clamorously Foolish. Here, here's in context, Psalms 22, 6. They who seek the Lord will praise him. They will, they will rave. They will boast. They will celebrate. They will be clamorously foolish. That fills God's love tank. There's a story in 2 Samuel chapter 6 of when David was bringing, King David was bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into, into Israel. And and the Ark of God, it, was the, it really represented the presence of God. It was a big deal, and, and it had be, been away from Israel for years now. And everywhere it went, it, it caused something. Something happened, either good or bad, everywhere it went. And it belonged with Israel. And so he's bringing it back, and he's so excited. It's been gone for a long. It, he's been without the covenant, without God's presence. And, and he gets so excited that he begins... To rave and to boast and, and to celebrate and to clamorous foolishly. And, the, and, the, and it says that, that, his, that his garment fell off, that his outer garment came undone. And what happened was is, and don't wig out, I'm going to fix it. Don't, look, focus right here. I'm going to get it done. Some of you are just, you just checked out because the screen's messed up. Watch this. This thing is, oh, look at that. See, I'm all right. So David's out there jumping and shouting and celebrating so powerfully that his outer garment falls off. And his wife is sitting in their house looking over the whole, experience, the whole encounter, the whole thing. And, and the Bible says that as she watched David, she disdained him in his heart or she had contempt for him or she thought really he was acting foolishly. And so when David comes in after the celebration and after the praising and after the worshiping, his wife says, David, you, you look like a fool. You've made yourself to be, to be a spectacle in front of all these people. And you know what David's response was? He wasn't, oh, you're right, honey. I just got too carried away. I was, I was just too extravagant. I, I know I shouldn't have done that, and, and I'll apologize later. No, he didn't say that. He said, hey, hey baby, I'm going to celebrate before the Lord. That's what I'm going to do. God's been good to me. I'm going to even become more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. Baby, it's not about me. It's not about me at all. It's about what God wants. And if God wants me to, if he wants me to foolishly clamor, if he wants me to rave and to boast and to celebrate, 
then I'm going to do it that way. And the irony of the story is David became a man after God's own heart. David wrote and penned a lot of the Psalms. His wife was barren until she died. Not only physically, but spiritually. She mocked. David participated. She was a spectator. David was involved. David caught the attention of God. David celebrated before the king. Here's another word, yada. It means to acknowledge in public. Well, I'm not public. I'm, I'm just more private. Well, it doesn't matter what you're like. It, it's not about you. It's about what God wants. And God wants you to worship in public. He wants your private worship to overspill into the public. I will praise you. That, that word is yada. I will acknowledge you publicly, O oh Lord, and I'll do it with all my heart. Your heart is the seedbed of your emotions. It's, it's, it's where out of the heart flow the issues of life. The heart is, is the expression of you. I'm going to do it publicly, and I'm going to do it with all my heart. I'm gonna, when I was youth pastoring, one of our rules with all our kids that we had is there's no public display of affection. That, I mean, I, I didn't want you, I didn't want to see you holding pinkies. I, I don't care if you were the Pope's kid. The Pope don't have kids, does he? I don't care if you were whoever's kids. I don't want you holding pinkies. It's not going to happen. No public display of affection. And God's not like that. He wants public display of affection. He wants you to do it publicly. He, he wants you. Well, you say, well, I'm an introvert. Well, I'm not a good gift giver. But if I'm going to express, if I'm going to fill Angie's love tank, if I'm going to love her the way she wants to be loved, I better express myself with intentional, thoughtful, meaningful gifts. And I found out a long time ago, an iron is not a meaningful, thoughtful, appropriate gift. I thought that'd make her day, don't you? I mean, you know, I'm young. I'm thinking, oh, it's our anniversary. She needs an iron. And so I went out and got an iron. Not smart. I wouldn't, I wouldn't follow that instruction and I wouldn't give God something that that he has not that something doesn't fill his love tank here's another word it's Barack it's not Barack Obama it's the word praise but it means to bless by kneeling or bowing to offer yourself to him here's in context Psalms 103 praise the Lord kneel down before him bless him offer yourself to God Oh, my soul, and all my inmost being, praise his holy name. And you know what follows this? Psalms 2 says, and he has forgiven all my sins. He's healed all my diseases. He redeemed my life from the pit. He crowned me with love and compassion. He has revived my youth like the eagle. Now I'm in a position where I can run and not grow weary, where I can walk and not faint. As I offered myself to the Lord something, something good happen. It's Paul said, in light of God's mercies, in view of his goodness, I'm going to offer myself to God as a living sacrifice for that's my, that's my, that's my reasonable act of worship. I, when I was a kid, I, I heard missionaries would come to our church and they'd share all that was going on. And one missionary told a story of how he was raising money for a specific project and for hurting people and and they passed the offering buckets at the end of the service, and people were giving generously. And one little eight-year-old boy didn't have any money, didn't have anything to give. But he was so stirred and so touched by the message and what was going on that he, that he literally stood up and put, got put himself in the offering plate. 
that he stood in the plate and said, God, I don't have any money, but I give you myself. And that, that's, that's Barak. That's offering yourself to the Lord. That's giving yourself to God. That's bowing before him in a posture of humility and brokenness. Here's another word, zamar, and it means making music to God with instruments. God, God likes instruments. He's the one that created it. He likes to be praised with, with, with music. Here, here it is. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High. Well, what kind of instruments does he prefer? What, what does he like? Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heaven. Praise him for his mighty works. Praise him for his unequaled greatness. Praise him with a blast of the ram's horn. Praise him with the, the lyre and the harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and the flutes. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with the loud clanging cymbals. Let everything that hath breath sing praises to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, I don't like drums. I don't like cymbals. It's not about you. It's about him. And according to Psalms 150, he likes it. It fills his love tank. It's a way that we can express our worship and our love to God. Here, here's, here's about uh, Shabbat, to address in a loud tone, to shout. And, and now listen to me. And, and I, I'm not implying that we come to church and just right out the gate we're just shouting all the time and yelling all the time. There's a time. There's a time to be still and know that I am God. There is a time to reflect. There's a time to be more responsive. But there is also a time... Again, because of God's goodness and his grace, that you address in a loud tone publicly, that you shout unto God with a voice of triumph, that you lift your voice and your hands and your praise and adoration to Almighty God. Because Here's what the psalmist said. Because your love is better than life, so because sets two thoughts apart. I, I, was, I was doing my own thing and going my own direction, but it wasn't working. I want, my dreams weren't being accomplished. I didn't feel fulfilled. I wasn't getting satisfied. But your love captured me. God, I was on my way doing my own thing, but your love came upon me. I realized your love for the first time. And your love is so much better than that old life that my lips are going to glorify you. I'm going to praise you as long as I live. And I'm going to lift up my hands in your name. It, it's it's uh, it's what did I say? What is the word? Shabbat. It's giving praise to him. Here's here's what happened in Luke chapter 19. Jesus is on his way, finishing his last week. He's on his way to the cross, and he gets a donkey and he's riding through Jerusalem. And it says when he came near to the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Your love is better than life. God, I once was sick, but now I'm healed. I once was blind, but now I see where I was going, and now where I'm at is so much better. And because of what you've done, we're going to joyfully praise you in a loud voice. And, 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 and the, they said, this is what they were saying. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And here's the response. Some of the, some of the Pharisees. And the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They're out of line. They're causing chaos. They're bringing attention to themselves. They need to be quiet. That's not how we worship. That's not how we respond. That's not proper for God's people. And Jesus said, I tell you, if they keep quiet, 
the stones are going to cry out in my place. I like Jesus. You know what Jesus said? I like it. Let them shout to me. Let them praise me in a loud voice. Let them express their love through a way of worship that I have prescribed in Scripture over 3,000 years ago. Here's another word. Todah means to lift hands in adoration. I don't want to lift my hands. It's uncomfortable. It's weird. I don't even understand. It doesn't make sense. It's not about you. It's about him. Here's what Jesus said. Here's what the psalmist said. He who offers praise... That word is to die. He who lifts his hands in adoration glorifies me. Here's what, here's what, well, I don't like the Old Testament. Okay, here's what Paul told Timothy. I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. Well, that's not my personality. That's not, that's not how I worship. That's not my style. That's not my preference. That doesn't matter. That's how God wants it, and I can't. I can't describe to you the first time I raised my hands in worship, something in my heart flipped. It was like, I don't care anymore. And there was something that happened. I, I, I can't even describe it, though I can remember it. It was something that just changed. There's something about when you, you offer yourself to God and surrender. And it's not only that, I think it blesses God because, I mean, I'm not, I'm not real smart, but I, I think about my own kids. And, and when Tyler was just a baby, I mean, I loved to get him out of his crib. You know, he'd start crying or, or he'd start whatever. And, and me and Angie would be sitting on the couch. And I, I got him. I'll go. I'll go get him. Because when I got there, his hands were always lifted up to me. And he was so cute. And he was so precious. And he was like, Dad, will you take me? And so I'd pick him up. And I'd hold him and kiss him and then give him to his mom. And, and, and. <laughs> Because I just wanted that. I just wanted that. I didn't want everything else. I didn't want to change him or burp him or feed. I just wanted it. I just wanted him to. I just wanted him to want me. <laughs> There's something about when we do that to God. God, I need you. God, I want you. God, I'm I'm desperate for you. It's 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 to die. It's raising your hands. Here's here's the last word. It's tehila. And don't confuse that with kahita. Tequila, because if you get too much tequila, it will maybe make you tequila. But it means exuberant singing, enthusiastically, overflowing. Here's, here's the context. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise, exuberant, enthusiastic, overflowing, will always be on my lips. I mean, if you even study those seven words, it, clamorously foolish, uh, hands lifted, loud instruments, shouting, exuberant singing. Doesn't sound like a church service, sounds like a Zach Brown concert. Doesn't sound like a Sunday morning in the house of God, sounds like a Saturday on the soccer field. But yet, that's God's prescribed way. Worship is love expressed. And the primary way we can express our love is through worship. And if we're going to do it properly, we have to do it according to the word of God, which blesses the heart of God. Here's one more thing I want to share with you before we go. Worship is giving thanks. Worship is not only love expressed. Worship is giving thanks. And I, I want to turn your attention to a story that, a lot of you are familiar with. If you're not, it's the story of the ten lepers. It's found 
in Luke's gospel. It's a, it's a, it's, it's not a, it's, it's, it happened. I mean, this is, it's recorded. This is uh, the facts. Jesus, he was on his way to Jerusalem. He traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And he was, as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. And can I just remind you about leprosy back in that day? It, it, you didn't want leprosy. Leprosy was, it was, it was an autoimmune disease that would cause numbness in your extremities, in your nose, in your ears, and, and, and it, your flesh would eat your flesh. So lepers, uh, often it would start with their fingers and just move down, all the way down their hands. So they're limbless, noseless, earless, just, just, and not only is it physically uh, painful and humiliating, socially, it you were, if you had, if you had leprosy in this day, if you showed yourself in public, you could be stoned to death by the law. You had, relationally, you couldn't kiss your wife goodnight. You couldn't put your kids on the bus. You couldn't go to your girl's soccer game. You were isolated. You were put in a leper colony with other lepers, lepers to deal with your pain and your hurt together and spiritually it was a they thought it was a sign of the judgment of God so if you're a leper there's sin in your life you've done something wrong and God is out to get you and he's and he's justified in doing it and so this leprosy carried this stigma and this pain and this 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 uh, they were ostracized and and leprosy bad deal bad gig bad luck you don't want leprosy and these 10 lepers came to Jesus, or Jesus was walking through, and these lepers met him, and they stood at a distance. They didn't get close to him because they couldn't. The law said you couldn't. But they stood at a distance, and they called in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Help us. Help us. And Jesus said to them, go show yourselves to the priest. And I just want to stop here and say that's backwards. You don't show yourself to the priest and get healed. You get healed and then go show yourself to the priest. The priests are the ones that were to verify the miracle. So, so in, this, in this setting, what would happen is you would get healed, and then you'd go to the priest, and the priest would say, yep, you're healed, you're right, you can come back in society, you can do whatever, you're, you're okay. They'd stamp it. They'd give the approval. He didn't, say, he didn't say you're healed, go to the priest. He said, go to the priest. And, and they could have said, that ain't the right way. That ain't our tradition. That's not how we do it. We get healed and then go to the priest. I think think God, Jesus is just saying, I wonder if they're going to do it my way. I wonder if they're just going to obey me. I wonder if they're just going to follow me. And thank God for their benefit, they did. And they went. And the Bible says, and as they went, they were cleansed. They followed the heart of God. They they didn't care about their tradition. They didn't care about their personality. They didn't care about what they'd been taught. God said, go, I'm going. And they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. I want to ask you this morning, is that an appropriate response? Is a... Is a guy that's been delivered and healed from leprosy that now is back in 
community that now is back in society, that now has feeling in his toes and his fingers, that now instead of a disfigured face is made whole, is it an appropriate response to come back and praise God in a loud voice and throwing yourself at Jesus' feet and doing it publicly? Is that an appropriate response? Well, I would tell you this morning, we've not been healed physically of leprosy, but we had spiritual leprosy. And the Bible says that before Christ, we were dead in our transgressions and sin. We were futile in our thinking. We were deprived in our understanding. We were separated from God without hope and without Christ in this world. We were controlled by our sin for nature and slaves to ourself and to Satan. But God, in his great mercy and his great love, sent his son and Jesus emptied himself and became nothing and became an appearance of a man and found formed in a fashion of a man and he gave up his life so that we could but God demonstrated his love for us in this while we were yet sinners Christ died on a cross and he gave it all so we could be forgiven and we could be healed and we could be put in right relationship with God we have been healed of spiritual leprosy We've been accepted and forgiven and are being transformed. We have a new life and a new hope and a new heart. You've been transformed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You are a friend of Jesus and he's promised to never leave you nor forsake you. You have the presence of the Holy Spirit that says I want to comfort you and help you and teach you. You've been blessed with God by everything you need for life and godliness. Is it an appropriate response? For you to come back to God, praising him in a loud voice, throwing yourself at his feet, and doing it publicly. Let's skip ahead 30 years. The leper's been healed for 30 years. He's married his oldest daughter. He's walked her down the aisle. He's held, her, he's held his grandkids, loved on him. He's got a job, retirement's ready. He's saved well. He's done well. Leprosy, I mean, it, it's, it's so long gone in the past that that feeling is 30 years past. I mean, it, it's just, it's gone. He's new. And Jesus, 30 years later, comes walking through his city. Is it still an appropriate response for this man who's been healed and been given back everything? Is it 30 years later? Is it an appropriate response to come back, to praise God in a loud voice, and to throw himself at the feet of Jesus? Is it appropriate? But here's the deal. Some of us have been safe for so long, we forgot what it's like. We forgot what it was like to be graveling in our sin and, and to, be, to be burdened with, with an unbearable yoke and to be, to be uh, unfree from sin and, 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 and no promise of heaven. And, and we... We forget about it, and so now worship is not a big deal, and, and I've said it before, and I've done it before, but I would tell you, it is still an appropriate response. If you've been saved for, for 30 years or for three hours, the appropriate response is to praise God in a loud voice, to throw yourself at his feet, and to thank him publicly. Well, that ain't my tradition. I'm not asking you if it's your tradition. I'm asking you, is it appropriate? And I would declare to say, it is, it is. See, here's my hope. As we reset, as we realign, as we refocus on worship, because nothing ushers in the presence of God like worship, that we commit 
our lives, that we recommit our hearts to worship, that we will commit to expressing our love for God in the way that He wants us to express it, that we will reveal our gratitude and we will intentionally keep Him in proper perspective and stay in right relationship with God. Amen, everybody.